Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In. I am Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one, in which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we are speaking with Dennis Crowley, co-founder and executive chairman of Foursquare, the location intelligence company that powers products used by more than 50 million people every month across 100 countries. Previously, he founded Dodgeball, one of the first location-based mobile services, which was acquired by Google. Dennis is also the founder and chairman of the Kingston Stockade Football Club, a semi-professional soccer team started in 2015 out of Hudson Valley. That competes in fourth division of the U.S. Soccer Pyramid. I have no idea what that is, so you could explain that. <laughs> Dennis, welcome to the show, and I hope I covered everything. If not, why don't you just fill in the blanks uh, on your background? Yeah, no, that was a, that's a kind of good summary. So we've... Um you know, here we're at Foursquare HQ in New York City right now, uh, recording this. Uh, this is our fourth office. We've been here for about uh, well, we've the company's been going for about ten years. This is like our ten-year anniversary year, which is crazy to think that this has been my job for ten years. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been like you know, we're we're doing some amazing uh, amazing work here with location technology and um you know location analytics and you know helping people use a lot of the tools and data that we have to do interesting things and then we've got a whole bunch of side projects outside of Foursquare, one of which is the soccer team that you were talking about um which is which is a super fun thing to work on well so just to touch upon the soccer thing i was reading about it and pretty much you decided to you know why not start a club right and so how do you pick you know what, soccer apparently you're an avid soccer fan and player and why Hudson Valley? Yeah, my wife and I have, um, we live in the city, but we have a house like two hours outside the city in a town called called Kingston, New York, about two hours north. And uh, yeah, we bought the house five years ago, and it's just been like a, a nice retreat from the madness of the city, especially now that we have kids, right? So mm-hmm. like we have a yard and they run around, and it's super fun. And it was just, you know, there's a, it's a really cool community of people doing like really interesting entrepreneurial things. And... Um, you know, we we just went through this moment of like we should we should do something. We should build something in the town, and it wasn't like we we're going to open a shop or a restaurant or a bar. Uh, and it I was like, hey, someone should build a soccer team here, right? There's a lot of people that play. There's a lot of fans up here. A lot mm-hmm. of kids that play. And I remember going to talk to some people at the our local pickup league. Like, hey, why hasn't someone done this before? Why hasn't someone do it? It's like, who's going to do it? It's all work. I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get to work on it. And that, it's just been a great thing for the community to rally on. You know, it's like a thousand people show up at the yeah. game. It's not huge, but it's um, it's just it's a it's a fun project, and we've been very transparent about how much it costs and why are we doing it and how does it get better and how does it get bigger. Uh, and I think that's been helping other like soccer entrepreneurs mm-hmm. do similar things in their towns. Interesting. So you know, we're going to go back a bit, and so I want to talk about more. How do you get started? Um, you know, in, in your career, your first job. No, just walk us through that a bit. Yeah, I'm from um, right outside Boston, um, Massachusetts. Here, in, and um, you know, I went to school in upstate New York at Syracuse University. And right after graduation, I moved. I moved down to the city. Like I studied communications. I was thinking I'd work at an ad agency. I ended up working at a 
internet research firm. Um, so I worked there for about two years before, you know, it was like a startup, it was, you know, it was a hundred mm-hmm. people or so, um, writing research reports about the future of the internet and the future <laughs> of e-commerce this is back in like 1998. Um, and then I ended up getting a job at a, at a company that built products, products for Palm Pilots, if you remember those. <laughs> yeah. um, Whoever's listening and you're a millennial, make sure you look up what a Palm Pilot yeah, is. It's like, basically, it's a phone that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, they were making city guides for Palm Pilots. And, you know, I got kind of really obsessed with this idea of, of software that can make cities easier to use and easier to navigate. Uh, and then I started doing my own experiments in terms of building software that made cities easier to use. I started a, a, prod, a project, which turned into a product, which turned into a company called, called Dodgeball. It was my grad school thesis project. I went to a cool kind of like art technology grad program called ITP, which is at NYU. Uh, Dodgeball was my thesis. Uh, it was about, you know, how do you... How do you build a piece of software that just lets you know where all your friends are all the time, but the only thing we had on our phones was text messaging. was before the iPhone. Um, and, you know, we, we built this thing. We turned it into a company. We sold the company to Google. I worked at Google for two years. Uh, we had all these, like, amazing things that we wanted to do with Dodgeball, but we, we just didn't get to do them at Google for a number of reasons. And so we left, and about a year later started another company and called it Foursquare. Um, to you know, now that the iPhone was out, now that you know phones had GPS, now that we had some insight into like, hey, we, we can do really cool things um, with location data, and you know that that company's been going for ten years. So you're able to pretty much evolve it from from there, from the you know where Dodgeball was very you know just you know text based to actual. Yeah. You know, creating apps on the phone, etc. So yeah, that's... a lot of things changed when your phones had GPS, so they knew where they were. When phones could have apps, right? So you could just download an app, and people un- understood that. You know, as things like uh, Facebook became mainstream, it was easy to explain to people, "Hey, this is a social network, but this is like a social network on your phone." Um, a lot of things that were really hard to explain in two thousand four and two thousand five were much easier to explain in 2009. And so it just allowed us to have a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more success with, with similar ideas. So when you, when you were creating Dodgeball, did you have in mind that you wanted to be acquired? Did you, you know, did you think when you were acquired, oh, it would be great, I could do more things? Were you disappointed that they pretty much stifled you a bit? Again, everything worked out for the best was, you know, look where you are, you know, now yeah. and what happened. Yeah, um, you know, we were we were grad students with like fifty dollars in our <laughs> bank account. So the idea that our thesis project would get acquired by Google was like the biggest win you could imagine ever. And then you know we got health insurance, mm-hmm. we had an office, we got to work on our dream project. There's free lunch every day. Uh, it was all sorts of great stuff. So that was, I mean, that was a, a great, great um, opportunity for us. I think it was just a weird time for Google's right after the IPO. It was when Google was starting to get serious about a lot of things. We were in the New York office um, where the company was being led out of the Mountain View office, mm-hmm. and you know, just there was a bunch of reasons I don't think we we could make it work as well as we want to. I wanted to, but like we had, you know, we, we had formulated lots of ideas and we had lots of energy for things we wanted to do. And we just channeled a lot of that stuff just into, into Foursquare. Got it. So, you know, what, what was something that, you know, you failed at early on that really bothered you and had you overcome it? You know, it's a question I like to ask a lot of the, just to give people an idea of, you know, creativity, not, you know, not getting down 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I failed, failed at, like, most everything, to be honest, right? Like, probably the first big failure was, like, as a high school student, I wanted to get into this, like, prestigious, you know, communications program at Syracuse, and I couldn't get in. Like, grades weren't good enough. And so I, I decided I would roll the dice, go to the school anyway, and try to transfer in. It took me, like, two years before I was able to transfer in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming... Uh, coming to the city, I had a great run for, like, I had a cool first job, and I worked at that company, Vindigo, that was making the Palm Pilot City Guides, mm-hmm. and I got laid off, right? I got laid off um, in the dot-com crash, and that was a failure. You know, I got evicted from my apartment later that year, uh, and in, then 9-11 happened, and I oh, moved yeah. out of the city. I was a, you know, I, I worked as a snowboard instructor for a year, uh, and my, you know, I remember my parents being like, is this what you're going to do forever? And I was like, I don't really know, I'm just trying to figure it out. And I, I went back to NYU. Yeah. Um, I went back to New York because I wanted to be a, 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 go to this cool program called ITP. Um, and, you know, then we, we built Dodgeball. And then Dodgeball was great until, like, we couldn't get traction for it inside of Google and we left. I thought that was kind of a failure. Um, then we started this new company you know, Foursquare. And, you know, Foursquare has had its share of successes, but we also had, like, a long period where no one knew if the company was going to work or going to survive another couple of years. Yeah, so, so that's a per- perfect way. So, you know, talking about Foursquare, I think, I mean, I remember, we, you know, we met, you came to one of my round tables, and Foursquare was just really getting getting a lot of traction. Yeah. Right, the check-in phase, which is really, you know, it's part of what you guys do, but you do so much more now as a data company. Yeah. Right. But back then it was, you had the data, but people were just, they were much more focused on the check-in aspect, the social, where your friends are and all that data. Yeah. Right. So did you realize how popular it would be like when you built it, right? Did, were you like just surprised how well it took off? We we had no idea how popular it would it would be. Um you know, very early on, I remember meeting with Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures. This is, I think, before we, before we raised money from them. And Fred asked me, hey, how long before you have a million users? And I'm like, a million users? What are you, crazy? <laughs> and then if you fast forward, this is like 2009. And if you fast forward a couple months, like we were growing by a million users a month. And, you know, I think, which, which is insane. And I think Foursquare, like, kind of topped out around, like, 40 or 50 million user accounts, um, but what happened is like there was, you know, like we we had a product that like made a lot of sense in 2009, 2010, and it just couldn't keep up with like Snapchat and Instagram and, you know, these other things that were getting tons of traction. And so, you know, people stopped using the app. Um, and then we had to figure out like, well, what do, what do we do? If we don't have a huge growing audience, how do we monetize this? And... Um, you know, like the, the apps are still around. The apps are like successful and stable, and we're, we're mm-hmm. excited about them. But the company doesn't generate a lot of revenue from the apps. The company generates revenue from licensing all the technology that we built to power our own apps, but is now baked into you know hundreds or thousands of of other apps okay. all around the world. Yeah. And so, you know, when you started it, right, what was your vision? I, I know where it is now, but when you, your vision when you started and you saw the traction, what did you think? Because again, back then, again, you know, you had, it was little Facebook, Foursquare, Twitter. I mean, you, yeah. you were in the same breath, uh, yeah. you know, same conversation. Yeah. You, it was for at least three years or so where the, just the buzz was all about, I, you got to be on Foursquare, you know, yeah. just like where would you go, see what you did, where the, you know, where the masses were going and you yeah. were able to really track that, mm-hmm. you know, 
So, you know, what did your what was your vision for it when you started? You know, did you think it would be more along that line, or did you see it pivoting at some point in time to where it is now? Uh, no, we, we certain certainly like in two thousand nine, never imagined where we'd be today. And like, if you told me ten years ago that I would still be working on this thing ten years later, I'd be like, "You're crazy." There's no way that happens. <laughs> um, you know, but the, the original vision was this idea of like, let's make software that makes cities easier to use, which is like this thing. It's been the theme and all the work that I've done. Um, let's build software that brings people together, right? You know, there's yeah. a, a great quote that my buddy uh, Scott Heiferman has about like use use the internet to get people off the internet. You know, so it's like let's let's use software to bring people together so they can hang out together. Uh, and then there was this like other idea that we were exploring, which is you know can you can you make software that's playful and kind of turn life into a game a little bit and encourage people to do things they wouldn't normally have done before. Like, what is the power of software to get you to do something that you normally wouldn't do? Which, which I still feel is a very powerful, um, it's, it's a very powerful notion that's still very underexplored, uh, even in, t- in 2019. Got that. So, you know, when you were, the early days still, uh, you know, you were building the company out. So, no, you had traction. You were doing pretty well in terms of the, you know, I would say uh, user acquisition. Mm-hmm. You know, when did you start to realize, you know, this is a really could be big. Like we have to go raise money. We have to scale the team. You know, how did you go about? How did you go about doing that? I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, like we started, um, we started really getting serious about it in, in January of two thousand nine. That's ten, that's ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? We launched the product in, in March of two thousand nine. Um, we didn't raise funds until like September of 2009, which is really just about, you know, like, hey, we want to we want to pay ourselves. We want to be able to hire other people. So I think we raised like, a, you know, one point three million dollars. Um, and, and then as we started to grow, it's just like we don't have enough people to help. We don't have the technical ar- architecture to do this infrastructure to do this. And that's when we. You know, I remember meeting the folks from Andreessen Horowitz and having a conversation with Mark Andreessen. And he's like, how big is the company going to be? And I said, I bet you we're 20 employees. And he's like, you're going to have 20 people working in customer support. I was like, how big is the whole company going to be? And I was like, I just don't have a vision for how this thing is a 100-person company. That, that just, it kind of blew my mind. Mm. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we worked with Andreessen Horowitz in our, our Series B was that these you know, they were building big companies, helping people build big companies. And a lot of people saw that we had the potential to be a big company before before we did. And we just needed help doing that. So so your investors, you know, when did you but so your one put three round that you raised, was it from your was it your Angel seed round series A. The series A um series A was one point three million bucks. It was split um almost fifty fifty by uh, Unisquare Ventures and O'Reilly, O'Reilly Alpha Tech, mm-hmm. um, and then we had like ten angels that put in, you know, between ten and yeah. twenty-five grand each. And when, so, when did Mark? And, and they the came in, in the Series B, our Series, Series B in the summer of two thousand ten. Got it. And then that was, I think, we raised um, twenty million bucks, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, and where were you? Like, you know, we were like. Holy cow! Like, you know, it's just it's just it's getting really big, and you know these guys are putting in a 
a, a you know a sizable you know you know cash amount into the company. Yeah, and, and even a million bucks that we got early on was like holy cow for us, you know, because we had we had tried so hard to get people to put money into Dodgeball and they weren't interested. And then we went to Google and Google like we sold the company to Google and then Google ultimately wasn't wasn't interested, which is why we left. Um, and then you know we went through this whole process of people being like, why would I give you money to build the same thing that you sold to Google years ago that Google didn't want anymore? And it was just it was just like humbling for someone to be like, no, no, we believe in you and we believe that you have this vision. Here's a million bucks, go make something happen. Um, and that that was that was great. But then of course, like everything after that is like a holy holy cow moment. Yeah, you know, like Facebook wanted to buy the company, Yahoo wanted to buy the company, Google wanted to buy the company. Um, you know, venture capitalists were throwing term sheets at us. Like it was, it was a wild couple couple years. And you know, so did you go? Did you rely on your investors? Your, your as did you view them as investors only, or did they become, you know, confidants? Did they become mentors? Did you go to them for advice, or there was still a strict like you know, investor and founder type of mentality? And the founders are. You know, it's your baby, right? So when yeah. you build your and investors don't necessarily view it as a baby, they view it as a, you know, it, it's something that needs to make money, right? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. You know, so did did you did you have that relationship with them where you went to them as mentors or they were just more like, okay, we have to put, the, you know, Dennis is great, but we have to focus on the company. The, the two might not always match. It's a, it's a little bit of both, right? Like in the beginning, we, you know, we chose um, O'Reilly as an investor because I knew uh, Bryce. Bryce is one of the partners mm-hmm. there and I just knew him and trusted him and was like, I've never done venture before, you'll be a good partner. I chose Union Square Ventures because like, oh, like you know, as uh, someone had done tech in New York, like, oh my gosh, just the opportunity to work with Union <laughs> Square is such a huge yeah. deal. Uh, and, they, and they've been great. Albert Wagner has been on the board since the very beginning and, you know, he's been, he's been a great kind of ad- advisor both in like how to build a business and like personal stuff too. Mm-hmm. Ben Horowitz has been a, a, a fantastic advisor to the company in terms of uh, managerial stuff. Like how, how do you grow the organization? How do you manage employees? Like what is this thing going to look like? How big is it going to get? How are you going to fundraise? How do you do corp dev? Were you, like, were you, all that stuff. Were you ever overwhelmed? Yeah, we're overwhelmed all the time. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're just spitting all that out. I'm like, you know, that's just that's a lot of stuff to just. Uh, and again, you were you were you know, getting back ten years ago, you were a kid, yeah. pretty much just you know, building stuff up. You, again, the vision that you had, yeah, it might not be five years out. We, we were we were so knee deep in it that like you almost don't have time to be overwhelmed. But that's like a it's like a different time in my life. It's almost hard to like um, like remember it. Right? It was before <laughs> I was married, before I had kids. You know, my life now is totally different. Like, I'm, I'm no longer the CEO. I'm the executive chairman. Mm-hmm. You know, I purposely stepped out of that role because I'm like, this. I'm just totally burnt out. And the company is turning into an enterprise company. And it needs someone that is, like, really passionate about enterprise okay. software to come in and, and help do this. And I was like, that, it's just not me. I mean, I had a, a really frank discussion with our board. I was like, you know, I know you guys love founder-led companies. But this company needs someone that wakes up every day and is excited about, you know, advertising. You know, I'll be here to do all the other stuff, but you need you need a different type of leader. I mean, so you know, how did you come to that? I mean, because that's a first the introspect that you have on yourself is fantastic. Because a lot of founders can't necessarily see that, right? So you saw again, you were leading the you were CEO for it for seven years, seven, seven years yeah. right? So then you said, okay, you know what? I know myself, and you. Pretty much putting your, yourself aside, say for the good of the company, I need to take a different role and bring in someone that could really 
take it to that next level. Yeah. And did you map out that vision with 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 the Jeff Wright? Did you map it out with him or? Um, well, I I had a moment with the board. Um, I remember 2015, 2016, probably. I think it was 2015, where I, you know, this, they were, um, I just had a really frank discussion. And I was like, I don't think I'm doing a good job running the company. And they're like, you're doing great. The company's doing great. I'm like, the company needs someone that's better than me to do this job. Um, And we had a really frank discussion about it. And, you know, they, they were telling me, it's like, okay, well, Let's talk about how do you do that. And we talked about the current state of the the management team, the executive team, and you know I would probably have to make some changes. And you know one of the changes was we brought in a new a new COO who was Jeff Jeff mm-hmm. Quick. Um, and I I you know I, I led that process of of bringing in a new COO. And I had in the back of my mind like I need someone that could someday be the CEO of the company. And I didn't tell Jeff that until like two years later and then kind of like tapped him on the shoulder and be like, Hey, I have a better gig if you're interested. And then we had a long conversation and we came up with some strategy memos and then we talked to the board and you know, that was, it took me like, uh, you know, a year, 18 months of work to transition myself out of the CEO role. It wasn't just like you wake up some morning, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to be CEO anymore. It was like, a plan that took, it's probably the biggest project I've ever worked on, like replacing myself. Um, but, you know, the company's in a good position uh, because of it. Like, he's a, he's a great leader. He's got a, a clear vision for the type of business that Foursquare can evolve into. Um, we've been able to kind of pivot in, in that way. And I, I work on, um, you know, in addition, like executive chair is like a weird role. But I, I, we have like a, an R and D team here that just makes all sorts of weird stuff with the technology that we've built, like to kind of show mm-hmm. other people what's possible, what the future could look like. How does Foursquare invent part of that future? Uh, and that's that's what I work on. That's the stuff that I like to work on. That's the stuff I feel like I'm good at. Cool. So, how do you find Jeff? And this goes towards you know, as again building the company. How do you find the right people? Right, sourcing the right people. Yeah. You know, building the company culture. You know, and again, you definitely have, you know, a little bit more laid back. You know, there's definitely a, a vibe that, that you come in. You know, so how, how do you do that? And, you know, with Jeff as well, how do you find or decide on Jeff as the, you know, again, a critical role that you maybe had in your mind yeah. and you picked him, you know? Yeah, it's, um, there's like two different questions here. Number one's like, how did we grow in the, in the early days? Mm-hmm. Which is just like, you know, hey, we were a super hot company and people were dying to work for us. And so we had like our pick of the litter, especially in, in New York tech, where we were like a big fish in a small pond um, back in 2009. So we had no problem growing the team. And, you know, really, to be honest, we, we, we just hired all of our friends from Google. You know, we used to <laughs> sit at a big lunch table at Google and it took us about you know, 18 months, but we basically hired everyone that we used to sit and have lunch with. Um, you know, in terms of with Jeff, you know, I sat down with the board and when I had that discussion with the board about like, I think we need someone else as CEO here. We had a good conversation. Like, what is this process? This is the conversation with the board. Mm-hmm. Like, what, how do I do this? Like, what do we do? And, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, a bunch of folks on the, you know, should we change the composition of the executive team? Do we need to get new executives in here? Um, and then they helped me put together a plan um, for, for bringing people in and interviewing them. And when you look for someone like that, you meet with people that have no interest in switching jobs. 
just because like you're not interviewing them, but you're just kind of calibrate yourself. Like, mm-hmm. what does a really good executive look like? A really good person in this role. And so I met some calibration candidates, quote unquote, and then I met you know I, I don't know twenty different people that might be interested in the role, and we narrowed it down to three or four people, and then I let the rest of the executive team meet with them. I mean, it was a really really long process, but it was important to get just the right person in here. Interesting. So uh, you know. The pivot you had, right? So, you know, you were doing well and then you created a swarm and separated swarm as one. Mm-hmm. And then you created more of the, you know, the Yelp in a sense with Foursquare. But yeah. you also became much more of a data company. Yeah. Right. And so how did that come about? How do you realize that you needed to start parsing what, what, what you guys did as product was? Yeah. I mean, we, we hit a point at like... 30 or 40 million users where the app just stopped growing as quickly as it did. It used to be a million users a month and stopped. Um, and, you know, it stopped because, like, there's just there's a lot of other apps out there. People, you know, were no longer as excited about checking into every place that they went to. And when we talked to users, um, you know, people would say, like, hey, I um, uh, I love checking in in Foursquare, but I didn't even know there was a search feature. I didn't even know I was supposed to use this to search for places. And I was like, how do you, how do you not know there's a search? You know, it's, I mean, that's our fault, yeah. right? Um, we, we were doing something wrong with the UX. And then you'd meet people that um, uh, that searched everywhere, but they're like, eh, I, I don't want to check in. So I, I felt like I was doing it wrong, so I just stopped using the app. <laughs> and so that was some of the data points that we had that led us to just splitting the apps in two pieces. Like there's one for search and there's one for check-ins. Um, you know, and so, you know, when you say the word pivot, I always think of it as like, we, we certainly pivoted the business model, right? Or it used to be about, you know, Hey, we have these apps and we put ads in the apps and that's how we make money. And the big pivot in the business model is now like, Hey, we have these apps and all this technology, the apps and the technology generate lots of data for the, for the, for the business. And we've built a layer of like SaaS and enterprise tools on top of it. So it's a totally different business model. But the core of the company, like build software that, you know, makes cities easier to use, build software that makes sense of what's going on in cities. Like all of that stuff is is still, I mean, that's the DNA of the company. It's the DNA of the culture here. All that stuff is the same. It's just like the products we make that generate the revenue are entirely different than they were, you know, five years ago. And so when did you realize that the data was so rich, right? Not only rich, but it was valuable, right? Where people were willing to to pay for it, right? Because now you have brands, right? Yeah. You are using it. You have, I mean, walk us through, I mean, some of the clients now that are using it and what they use it for. Yeah. Well, to be honest, we realized the data was valuable when we were at, at Google. Um, and, you know, I used to run searches in our database, just like a really long MySQL statement. It was like, you know, show me all the places, that are within 10 blocks of my apartment, that are super popular on um, Saturdays and Sundays between 11 and, and 1, uh, like brunch time, you know, um, remove the ones that I've already checked into and then rank them by popularity with my friends, which is a really long SQL statement that would take like, you know, five seconds to run. Mm-hmm. But then it would you'd come back with a list of like, these are the brunch places that are near your apartment that are really popular with your friends that you haven't been to yet, you should go there. And it's like, this is such a cool query. This is such a cool use case. Someone has to make this thing, which is why when we left, we started the company again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, that we knew that from the beginning. Now, we didn't realize 
like we knew we could make good products off of that and we would just sell ads in it. But we didn't realize that like the services and the data were would really be valuable until the first time we started charging people for the API. Like we went we went through many, many years where like Instagram was using it and Path was using it and Flickr was using it. Everyone's using the API for free. And at some point the board was like you guys, you can't, I mean, like, you got to charge for the API. I'm like, you can't charge for it. Who's going to pay for it? It's like all these people that are using it, they're going to pay for it. I'm like, they'll never pay. I'm like, go ask them. And so, you know, we sent our BD guy, uh, like, go ask these people to pay. And everyone was like, yeah, we were wondering when you were going to ask us. And then that turned into a real revenue stream. And it's like, holy cow, businesses will pay for access to the data? What a, What other money have we kind of left on the on the floor here? And then that... That, you know, was our first, that was kind of like us dipping our toe in this idea of like, um, we're an enterprise software, enterprise data company. Uh, and then you start working with other advertisers and you start working with other brands and you start, you know, you run into like a J crew. It's like, can you tell me which people are going to my stores and where else they go? It's like, yeah, like we can build something like that. And if you build it for someone, there's a good chance a whole bunch of other, other people want to use it too. And that it's just turned into a very uh, lucrative model for us. I mean, it was, you know, people, people, you know, again, the Foursquare had a really good brand recognition, right? It was fantastic. And now you're always rebranding yourself as a data company. I mean, yeah. it's, and, and again, location data, again, there's other companies out there, but the, 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 the breadth and the, you know, that you have in terms of penetration in the market yeah. is with that. So can you give me an example, like one of the examples, like you're saying, your J. Crew, that, that was one example. Give another example for the listeners in terms of how they would use the location data. To, you know, for their advantage. How another company? Was. Yeah, bra- yeah, yeah, company brand. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you kind of an interesting story. Is like so, sometimes I'll sit on a, you know, like I'll, I'll be on a plane and I'll sit next to someone, and they're like, "Where do you work?" And I'm like, "I work at Foursquare." They're like, oh, I used to use Foursquare a whole bunch of years ago. I don't use it anymore. I'm like, I bet you are still using it, even though you don't know you're using it. For like, if you go into Uber and you say, "Hey, pick me up at JFK Airport," that's Foursquare data. If you go to Twitter and say, "Hey, I'm tweeting from this Starbucks," like that's Foursquare data. You know, Tinder has a feature that allows you to match with people that have been to similar places as you. Um, if you have a Samsung phone, there's a feature in there that auto geotags some of the photos that you take. Um, you know, like Foursquare is baked into all of these different services. Uh, in a way that sometimes we don't get credit for, but that's fine. That's a thing that continues to fund the company and allows us to do all sorts of interesting things with the consumer apps and to do all sorts of interesting things in the little like R&D lab that we've going on. So, you know, what, what do you see the vision now? I mean, so you guys are in a really, you know, good place. You, you, you're growing, right? How many employees do you have now? Uh, probably 300, something. 300. And of yeah. course, that, four offices, you said, right? Uh, I think it's more than more that. than that. It's a bunch of sales offices. Around, okay, you know. And so, so what? What is is if you guys want to? Are you gonna? You know, again, location data. I, I get. Are you looking to go beyond that? Are you looking to acquire companies in the coming year? Are you looking to just keep growing? You know, at a rapid pace. Yes, yes, and uh, yes. Right? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's really it's like we we um, we've got this this great brand and we've got this great technology that we that we've built like the core piece of technology we have is this thing we call pilgrim and it's a little engine that we have in our apps and that we put in other people's apps and if you take the 
you know, if you take your phone somewhere and you stop at a bakery, we understand like, oh, this, this place is your phone's at a bakery now. Should we do something? Yes or no. Oh, your phone went to a bowling alley. Should we do something? Oh, your phone's at a Starbucks. Should we do something? And, you know, like we can use that to, to do a cool enterprise analytics advertising stuff. Um, but we can also use that to, you know, make this next generation of like contextually aware services where it's like, you know, one or more of the apps will, that you have on your phone will do something different because you're at the gym to, right now or because you just walked into a bookstore or because you're at your fifth coffee shop this week, mm-hmm. right? And those could be games. That could be like a smarter version of Siri or Alexa. Um, it could be, you know, city guides that uh, change based upon where you go. Um, it could be augmented reality applications. It could be... You know, the the navigation system in your car is different depending on the types of places that you go once you get out of your car, right? There's this whole kind of contextually aware opportunity that, like, we're just kind of in the beginning of. And for us, we, like, you know, we look at it as, like, we are going to power those experiences. So you're asking kind of, like, what, what's the vision? You know, in my mind, as the founder, right, the vision is still, like, make software that changes the way people use the real world, right? Make software that makes cities easier to use. You know, that, that's, that's the thing that drives me personally. You know, the company's overall mission is like, hey, we understand where all these phones are going, right? Let's make magic happen based off of all of that data, right? And that magic mm-hmm. could be magic to J. Crew that now understands, oh, this is where I'm going to put my next five stores uh, based off of Foursquare foot traffic trends. Mm-hmm. It could be... You know, magic to uh, Starbucks that can run a much more uh, targeted ad campaign at people that uh, are, you know, coffee drinkers in certain neighborhoods. It could be magic to an, uh, you know, to a game developer. It's like, oh my gosh, I can now make this super contextually aware location-based game um, that I couldn't make before. Um, it could be magic to an augmented reality developer that has, you know, that needs the ability to understand. Okay, what what AR elements do I show to someone if they walked into a bakery versus a bar? So, like some of these are examples that are relevant, like yesterday or today, and some of them are examples of things that'll be relevant like a year from now. But like that's what the company does. Like we build this whole like location layer of the internet stack that people can use to go out and just kind of like invent the future any way that they want to. Got it, and so. So do you feel that you would want to do another startup at some point in time or you're just right now, you just, you know, you love what you're doing, you know, and that's so you, you see yourself, you know, in the next whatever, five years or so. Uh, like, yes, yes and no. Right. So I have another startup. It's the soccer club. It's cra- but it's like it's a real it's a it's a it's a brick and mortar. Yeah. No, it, it's like it, it's still it's like it's not software that brings people together, yeah. but it is a, a thing that brings people together. So it's a, it's a similar, similar, but not the same. Um, would I do another tech startup? Like maybe I'm not super excited about the idea of doing that. Like I have a job here and there's I think like there's a thousand things that we still need to do at Foursquare before I move on to something else. Um, and also it's like, there's not a ton of, not a ton of stuff outside of this company that I'm really interested in, you know, like the augmented reality stuff isn't, it's not real yet. Like the VR stuff isn't real yet. Um, maybe that stuff will be, but it's just not, it's not there yet. And like there's, we have such like a huge opportunity to continue doing stuff here and this is kind of like you know, to, to give a little context how many how many apps or how many people are using 
your your data now? Do, how do you have, is the data? Yeah, like how many how many people are plugged into your API or just I just oh, gosh, did, I, I don't even know. No, okay, you know, like it, we used to celebrate it as <laughs> as like you know x amount of people have like an API. Yeah. I think we're we're just kind of beyond that. Like what it, the first thing I thought of when you asked that question is like. Our our slide like if I have to go give a presentation somewhere yeah. and I have slides like I show that slide with all the logos well, on it yeah. and it's like all, all the companies you know like Uber Twitter Snapchat so so pretty so Google, so, 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 so people don't realize that's what they're using I mean they're using your yeah your data I mean yeah it's like bits bits and pieces of like you know there's there's 50 million people around the world that help us build this company right mm-hmm. that used our products and help us build the data set. And, you know, I think a lot of those people are like, oh, well, I don't use Foursquare anymore. But it's like, no, no, no. All the stuff that you helped us create is out there now in the apps that you use every day, making those apps better. Um, And, you know, it's in these developer tools that, you know, independent developers are now using to, to make other versions of stuff that you may not even be using yet. And so, you know, like we... I think we're just kind of like baked into this moment of the internet and of mobile phones and of contextual awareness in, in, a, in a great way, we're just kind of in the background. And mm-hmm. so is there a moment where we become more in the foreground? Like, I don't know. You know, maybe some of the things that we're working in the labs end up being like a big hit with consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the headline is like, we don't, we don't need consumers to have us on the front, you know, on the front um, page of their phone. Yeah. Like, because we're baked into half the apps that are on the front page of the phone, you know? Yeah. So so do you see similarities between, you know, your running the soccer team and Foursquare? Did you, do you think, it, you know, running it, you know, founding Foursquare helped you start, you know, start, again, start even, even though it's a small, relatively small club, it's still, you know, yeah. it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah you, I think if you, if you can run as an entrepreneur long enough, you kind of get this inflated sense of like, I can do anything, um, which is like both good and, and bad. But, you know, it's like, I'm not a very talented soccer player. I've never worked in the soccer industry. I've never mm-hmm. done anything in sports. And so people are like, you are the last person to run a soccer team. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. But like, I'm also good at starting stuff and good at getting people excited and good at finding the right people to work on stuff and good at laying out the vision and getting the things executed. And that, that's just what it is. I mean, I, it probably could have been a, a bowling alley and it would have been fun, right? <laughs> but, like, I was really passionate about the idea of doing this thing in Kingston, putting a soccer team there. I wanted to take my friends to the games. I wanted to watch the games. I want to take my kids to the games. Like, that was the th- – I was like, I want to make the thing that I want to go to. Mm-hmm. And instead of waiting for someone else to go make it, I'm just going to go make it okay. myself so I can take my daughter next year so yeah. my friends and I can go and watch the match. And that, that's what we did, and it's awesome. Um, but, the, you know, the skill sets are, are the same. It's like you have to have an idea. You have to be have, you have to come up with a plan. You have to inspire people. You have to execute against it. You have to have a vision for what it's going to be. You have to adjust if things don't go according to the plan. So it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Totally different world. So what what did you want to be when you were 15? We're going to wrap it up. So I just want I to get 15. to something. What the hell was I doing when I was 15? <laughs> um, I, I played a lot of video games, and I was skateboarding a lot and snowboarding a lot. And so I used to, you know, we used to make magazines about, like, video games, skateboarding, and snowboarding, right? That, mm-hmm. That's just what we did. And we used to do that on, like, AOL and stuff. Um, and I wanted to be a mag- I wanted to be a publisher. I liked magazines. I liked making stuff that people read and making things that people consumed. And that's why I went to 
you know, wanted to go to Syracuse for their communications program. You know, he, be a journalist. You should you know? speak to. Do you know Gary Lovett? Uh, I don't know. You remember Mad Mimi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's—he's. He's, he, I actually interviewed him. He's—he's okay. he's next week's podcast. Oh, cool. How he, he, he was a professional skateboarder. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. From South Africa. Okay. He cool. was—he, you know, great. He was in a remote village, like on a farm. Yeah. Didn't nothing to do, so mm-hmm. he took up music. Yeah. And skateboarding. Yeah. yeah. And that's how he just you know fell in love with it. So, and so, is there a habit that you do on a daily basis that keeps you productive? Yes, I have this notebook. This is my notebook. Um, I always have this in my pocket all the time. I've been doing this for, I don't know, eight, eight years out of 10 years of four square. This is notebook number 76. It takes me <laughs> roughly as a field notes notebook, and I buy them like three at a time. Mm-hmm. And it takes me about, you know, about maybe six weeks to go through one. Mm-hmm. But as you can see, like, I, I'm almost at the end of this one. And before I retire, every single thing will get crossed off in here. And this is a mix of stuff I have to do at Foursquare. I have to, you know, do for the kids, do at the house. Um, you know, conversations I have to have with people at the company, outside the company, uh, things I need to go, I need to buy when I go to Target. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, just, it's everything in my life at the moment. And every single thing will get done in this book before I retire. And then I will put this, de- this book in my desk and I will take a fresh book out yeah. and, you know, inevitably, like, 30 things yeah. get copied over and then this this is the thing that this is like the the thing that makes my life work. So I will say there's I, I someone mentioned to me she keeps a notebook in the shower. Yeah, yeah. And she it's a waterproof she gets it on Amazon mm-hmm. and you know same like it just I get it down I I you know it's by far was like her lifesaver. Yeah, it's just a, it's a system. I mean it could be this, it could be some people take notes on their phones. Yeah. People have the notebook in the shower. It's just like you have a system by which like your brain, if your brain is running all the time, you just and you can't deal with things. You just write them down. You do them later. You know. So, do you listen to podcasts? I mean, outside again for the you know, I'll do the shameless plug for the besides the plugged in podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you listen to do you listen to podcasts? I, I, you know, I have um, I have a thirty minute walk to work every day, and mm-hmm. so I listen I listen to the daily. Okay. Um, every day, which is the New York Times podcast, mm-hmm. and then I spend the uh, I try to spend the other part of that commute either calling my grandma or calling my, <laughs> my dad, or my mom. Yeah, um, and that, that's really it. We've been, right. you know, we we have his drive. We drive to Kingston every week, it's mm-hmm. two hours, and so we listen to a lot of audiobooks. Audiobooks. Uh, so that's been that's been our thing. Excellent. And, well, and children's music. Well, uh, come on, yeah, on the bus go around. I'm, I'm, my kids are between thirteen <laughs> and eight, so I'm a little. I graduated that, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mine are two. Exactly. Yeah, two and a half and a, and a one-year-old. Exactly. So that yeah. you're right in the thick okay, of things. Yeah, I'm right in the wheels <laughs> in the bus. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for your time. It was great. Yeah, awesome. And uh, enjoy. That's a fun conversation. Thanks. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.